How many realize that we're living in some very challenging moments? Anybody figured that out yet? <laughs> Pastor, you're stating the obvious, right? And uh, this past Tuesday, you know, I, I was just so proud to be an Albertan. I don't know about you, but uh, I really felt like our premier, he, he, he did the very best he could. I was thinking, I was praying for him for days, and I was just thinking, this is a lose-lose situation. No matter what he says, someone's going to get upset. How many know that's true? That's just the way it's going to work. And uh, I understand being a leader. I've been a leader for a long time. And leadership is all about dealing with problems. If you don't like problems, don't be a leader. And so I felt like he shared from his heart. And I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, we, we know we have to take some steps to curb what's happening with the COVID virus. And I know some people don't even believe there is a virus, but I would be a little hesitant to say that because uh, we've had family members um, even in our own church family, that have lost a loved one because of it. So how are we going to continue forward? You know, sometimes we can be in despair when we see restrictions and difficulties in life. Isn't that true? We can lose hope. We can get frustrated. We can get angry. I mean, those are all human emotions. And yet I want to talk about today how to build healthy relationships in a time of restrictions because I really believe that relationships are fundamental to life itself. As a matter of fact, God himself is in relationship with himself in the person of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and I are in a relationship with him, or we can be, and then we are designed to be in relationship to one another. And so the social connectedness is so important for our spiritual, emotional, and our mental well-being at this time. And so my question is, how can we flourish as believers in a time of restriction? You know, I, I really believe of all the people on the planet that should be flourishing, it should be you and I. You and I as the church, we should be now stepping up. There should be something different about believers in a time of difficulty. And I believe that that's going to begin to happen. And I think we can learn from the early church how to function in difficult times. How many realize the church was born in difficulty? Church was born in persecution. Church was born in a time of struggle. And so often in our lives, we, we resist struggle. We don't really like struggle. We, we avoid suffering. And I don't think it's wrong to try to avoid suffering, but there's an element of life. In this life, we will have trouble. Jesus said that. But he said also, be of good cheer. Don't let this stuff weigh you down, he says. We can overcome those struggles in our lives. And we recognize that when we are truly filled with the spirit of the living God, one of the outcomes is community. We build relationships. That's an outcome of God's spirit at work in our lives. You know, God never designed for us to live in isolation. How many know that's true? He's never, we were designed to live in relationship. And we have, a, we have the gift of technology today that can help us lessen the burden of feeling less isolated. There's never been a time when we have more avenues to connect with each other. And I know that you know, we can negate them sometimes and we can say it's not as good as being in, in person. That's true. But how many realize that you know, with the technology, we can be talking to somebody halfway around the world. We can actually even be looking at their faces. They can be showing us the environment in which they're living. And it is absolutely amazing that we can use these tools today to build meaningful relationships. And I, I'm so thankful for the fact that we are even streaming our services and people from different parts of the world are listening in and are becoming even joining us in some of our other meetings online. It's really powerful. 
I think what is even more important for us today is to go back in time. You know, if we could go back to that early church and learn some of its key lessons. And I'm thankful that we have recorded for us God's message and how we can function in this challenge. How many realize that the state of the church in Canada today is, is really, we, we really need to have a visitation of God. We really do. We really need to see how the New Testament church was birthed in really uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe in that same spirit reinvigorates the church today, the church will come alive and have a greater influence and a greater impact on the culture today. I don't expect people who don't know God to all of a sudden be able to handle the great pressures of life. But I do expect by the help of God's grace and the empowering of his spirit that you and I can rise up in this hour and become all that God wants us to be, a shining light on a hill, you know? So, how did God design the church that we can become all that he created us to be? And I don't think this can be done independently of one another. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at some of those statements in the scriptures where God talks about how we're to relate to one another. Probably the most important element that will sustain us in trying times is making sure our connection to the head of the church is strong. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we are in relationship with him. And it's, it's an organic relationship. It's a spiritual relationship, but it has tangible outcomes. And so I want to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and look at the, the nature of the church and look at its supernatural nature. And in Acts chapter 2 and in verse uh, 16 and 17, Peter is preaching to explain what people were witnessing. And the Spirit of God had come upon them. They were empowered by God's Spirit. As a matter of fact, they were speaking in other languages they had never learned. Jews from other countries who had gathered for the day of Pentecost heard them speaking in their, in their native language because they had probably grown up in like provinces like Pontus and Rome and Alexandria. And they were speaking the languages of that day. And all of a sudden, they could hear them speaking, these Galileans that were primarily the early followers of Jesus, now speaking in their language the wonderful works of God. And they had never learned that language. How many go, that's supernatural. That's not normal. That's supernatural. And people were awakened by that. And of course, some people come along and there's always critics. How many know there's always critics and mockers and say, hey, these guys are just plastered out of their minds. They've been, they've been up in the morning here, you know, drinking wine. They're, they're drunk. And Peter goes, listen, no righteous Jew would ever be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. He says, but this is what the prophet Joel said. And in the last days, it says, uh, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Isn't that a great promise? God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. As a matter of fact, the whole Old Testament kept reminding the people of God that God says, I'm going to create a new covenant. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. You're going to be a different person. I'm going to transform you from the inside out. And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And God came and he empowered his people. And God is still coming and he's still empowering his people today. And in this empowerment, we, get, we can get through some of these difficult times, this season of restriction and difficulty. I believe need, we, what we need more than anything else is a new touch of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and in our minds, a greater confidence in Almighty God. And I want to look at some of the characteristics of a church that's truly spirit-filled. We're going to go all the way back in time 
to this moment in in church history. And I think there are three characteristics of a spirit-filled church. And first of all, that we become, and they were, godly. And what I mean by a godly church is that they were steadfast, they were dedicated, and they were devoted. As a matter of fact, that word devoted, it's interesting in the Greek language, it's almost the idea of being addicted. You know, there was a habitualness about what they were doing. They were committed to certain things in their lives. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to these four elements, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so I want to look at these four ingredients and how it sustained them and strengthened them and spurred them on in their relationship with Almighty God. And I believe that you and I need to be habitual in these four things as well. Now, let's look at these in turn. First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which really is the Word of God. This apostolic teaching, as we know it today, is the New Testament. These men who had walked with Jesus, they had seen the miracles, they had heard the teaching of Christ, the Holy Spirit was now bringing to their remembrance the things that they had seen with Jesus and the things that Jesus had said. And I like what a New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce, says, 3,000 were then formed into a distinct community. This wasn't everybody isolating and saying, well, I'm a follower of Jesus now, I'll just stay in my own little house. No, they congregated together. This apostolic fellowship constituted on the basis of an apostolic teaching. The apostolic teaching was authoritative. In other words, it was uh, the foundation of what they were believing in. This was, there was authority here because it was the teaching of our Lord as communicated through the apostles. And in due course, this apostolic teaching took shape And what we now have is the New Testament scripture. It is for this reason why the scriptures are foundation, the foundation of our faith. This is the bedrock. You know, we can can talk about a lot of things in our lives, but this is the authority of life. And I want to just talk about two extremes. And one of the extremes is that we just dismiss the scriptures completely. We just nullify them with human tradition, or we nullify them with our experiences, or we can nullify them with our unbelief, or we can nullify them with scholarship. A lot of reasons how we can nullify scriptures. But yet, these are the things that God has laid down for us. So when you and I take in the scriptures, we take in the word of God as that scripture becomes alive through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what brings about life to us and brings about transformation in our human hearts. But you know, it's not enough just to uh, hear the word of God. We have to be doers of the word of God. You know, Listen to what Joshua says in the Old Testament. I love this text, one of my favorite verses. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Then what does it tell us to do? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now, how many can see here that expression? We're meditating, we're learning, we're understanding in order to do what? To do it. Yeah, what good is it if we just have this information, but we never apply it to life? You know, you know, when we read a scripture like, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Well, what happens when I hear a bad thing? What should I be doing? In everything give thanks. Lord, I just want to thank you that even though this difficulty has come my way, even though this challenge is being presented to me, 
I know that you're still in control. I want to thank you that you're going to give me the strength to endure. You're going to give me the wisdom to understand how to address this thing. How many are beginning to understand that we need to apply these words in our lives, and then you will be prosperous and successful? You know, years ago, Pastor Ken Hughes was introducing Richard Warmbrandt, who was a, was a wonderful Christian who had been in communist, a communist country and uh, had stood for his faith. He had been tortured. And now he was in the United States at this church. Uh, I, I don't know where, which church, Kent. I think he was pastoring Chicago, Chicago Moody Church. I can't remember which one he was pastoring. But he was introducing him to his congregation. And he said, um, he was describing what he had gone through. And then he says, we as a Bible-believing church. And then Richard Warmbrandt stopped me, he said, and paused. And he said slowly, are you a Bible-living church? How many know there's a difference between being a Bible-believing church and a Bible-living church? You know, you can say, I believe these things, or I'm living these things. How many think there's a big difference? Huge difference. I agree. And like he says, good question. I mean, how many know that would kind of stop a person? I believe this, but are you living it? That's a whole different question. And I believe when we're full of the Spirit of God, we move from just a head, in, head understanding, just information processing, to actually applying and doing these things in our lives. And the question we need to ask ourselves, am I living out what God is bringing into my life? As I'm seeing it in the Scriptures, I'm living these things out. Does it shape my attitude? Does it shape? Because if it doesn't shape your thinking, it's not going to shape your behavior. That's what's got to change. And that's really what repentance is. It's a change of mind. And I, I think we should be daily repenters. I think we should be in the scriptures daily and allowing the scriptures to reshape how we're considering things and, and uh, acting on things, that it's actually affecting my attitude and how I see things and my perception. And uh, I don't know, I, I journal for, as a practice, as a pastor. Every morning I get up, I'm, I'm reading scriptures and my prayers, I'm journaling them in the scriptures and I'm noticing all of these amazing truths and I'm, I, 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 I put notes to myself. Look at this, look, look at this understanding. I'm constantly reflecting and meditating on these things. And I believe that that's so critical in our lives. Listen to what it says here in the Psalms. You know, I'll read Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not, does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Is that my time up there, Mark? <laughs> that, it says... That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's just saying that when you and I live like this, it produces something in our life. It produces a fruitfulness. But I want to move on. Nextly, they were devoted to fellowship. The word here means to be in partnership and participation. It's the idea of caring and sharing. It's the idea of, of relating to one another. The Bible is filled with the things we do with one another. How many know the fact that we're told suggests that we may not always be doing? Isn't that interesting? Paul says a lot of one another things. There's a lot of text in the New Testament that says that. You know, let me just remind you how relational the New Testament really is. Listen to what he says. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, restore one another. Isn't that beautiful? Number, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. 
How many know you can't do that in isolation? You know, you, 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 know, you say, well, yeah, but Pastor, we can't, you know, we're not supposed to go to anybody's homes right now. I'm going, no, but you can pick up a phone, right? You can, you can text somebody, say, hey, how are you doing today? I've been thinking about you. I'm praying for you. You know, you, we can communicate and, and literally uh, care for each other in, through technology. It says forbearing with one another. In other words, putting up with one another. You ever have to do that once in a while? You go, this person's really irking me right now, you know? But that doesn't mean I just throw them aside. We're, we're kind of in a discard society, you know? If it doesn't work out, we just throw it away. You know, but that's not what we should be doing. Actually, I'm really convinced that the most meaningful relationships, when they, you know, you want to move past superficiality, you're going to have to have misunderstanding, and you're going to have to work through them. And that's when you grow in your relationships, and too many people don't understand that. Everyone's bummed out because they have superficial relationships. Well, try working through things. Be kind to one another. He goes on, forgiving one another. Anybody need to be forgiven? How many ever need to be forgiven? Anybody here need to be forgiven? Does anybody ever need to be forgiven? But you can only receive forgiveness to the degree that you're willing to give it. That's what the scriptures teach. That's the Lord's Prayer, you know? Submitting to one another. Admonishing one another. That means speaking into one another's lives. Loving one another comforting one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. How many are getting the idea there's a few one another's in the Bible? I just pulled out a few of them just to give you an idea. This is relational. This is fellowship. This is so critical. And then, you know, we always have the situation in the church where people, this is how some people's minds work. You know, you say something, you know, the church should do this, and then somebody will sit there and go, why don't they do it? And I'm going, well, who's the church? You know, it's like this mystical idea. Listen, if I'm a child of God, I am a part of the church. And so everything that's being stated is for me to do. Isn't that true? Yeah. And so, you know, you know somebody uh, did something really sweet. We had a family in our church. They don't even know I'm going to do this. But they, they'd made some food, and they had a lot. And they, they, they got a hold of me and said, Pastor, do you know any single people in the church that this might be a blessing to? And I, and I was thinking about it. I said, yeah, there's two people. I think this would really mean something. And they went over and gave them food yesterday. Isn't that beautiful? And then somebody immediately said, well, how come they didn't do it for us couples? And I'm going, see, that's the wrong thinking. <laughs> the thought isn't, why isn't somebody doing it to me? The question is, why are I not doing it to someone else? Isn't that true? And let me just give you a little idea. If you keep sowing things, what happens? If you keep sowing things, what's the thing that happens after sowing? Reaping. Sowing and reaping. So if I'm sowing to the Spirit, I'm going to reap to the Spirit. If I sow generosity, I'm going to reap it. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times we can sit down and say, well, why doesn't this happen? What are you doing about it? You know, like, what are you doing? So let's not go that, that, that way. And then there's, there's, just, there's a way of you and I focusing on other people. You know, we just finished my uh, Bible class here. At last Wednesday night. But here's the good news. We're going to do another one in January. People can sign up for that one. It starts on January 20th. But you know what? I made a decision. Between now and January 20th, 
our whole our group has become like a home group. We know we pray for one another. We have a discussion. I said we're going to keep it going. So everybody that wants to stay and visit and pray for one another, and we've actually got someone halfway around the world joining us on the Zoom class. It's really great, and they're actually ministering to homeless people right now. And we're praying for homeless people in this location. Already, you can see what's happening. And so Pastor Adam and I sat down the other day, and I said, you know what we need to do? We need to make this available to people in our church. We have a lot of access to Zoom. And if you would like to build connectedness and relationship with a care group, a smaller group of people, please contact us this week. Adam will sit down and we'll create new groups and then we'll put you on. We'll give you the location and you guys can come up with a time that you're available. And we'll, we'll put together some of these care classes where you can share prayer requests, where you can share your testimony, where you can share your life with each other. How important is that? Maybe you can discuss what you heard on Sunday or what God's speaking to you through the scriptures. Wouldn't that be amazing? So we're going to ask you to do that. I don't want you to live in isolation. I want people to be in relationship with each other. So when, any which way we can facilitate that. Maybe you said, well, I, I, I'd like to be in a home group, or I'm in a home group, but we can't meet in homes right now. But you know what? The government was kind enough to say you can keep doing what you're doing during the week. We can actually meet at location here. And so we're going to move some of our home groups to the church location. Yeah, I know you'll have to wear a mask. Yes, we'll have to socially or physically distance, but we don't have to socially distance. We can continue to share and pray and care for one another. How important is this? It's critical, you know. And, you know, there's always people in our church family that they feel like, you know, I don't have anything to contribute or offer. Can I just say that's not true? Let me just read here from the book of Ephesians. And if you want to know what drives me as a pastor, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 literally have, that's, that's the whole focus of what I'm trying to do as a minister but listen when he says here, instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, which is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is he saying? How many here appreciate that you know, I'm hoping that all, your, all the members of your human body function. How many appreciate that when they all function? Anybody happy that things function in your body? Anybody happy with that? Could you imagine this morning your hand says, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm not, I'm not working today. Or your leg says, forget it. I'm not showing up today. How many say that would kind of mess your day up a little bit? You're not getting too far without parts of your body functioning. How many say that's true? How many can see that as, a, as an analogy? You probably wouldn't do very well if your body was not cooperating. Anybody appreciate that? But how about in the church? If, if this is a, an analogy of what the church life is supposed to be, then what you bring every single week, you're part of what needs to help bring the whole church together. Every member needs to be functioning and doing its part. It's just a matter of me discovering what is my part. And everybody has a part. And everybody needs to share. And you know, Every one of us can you know, pray and, and, and build relationships and contact people and pray for people and encourage people. There's a lot of things we can be doing. But you know, if we sit back and go, well, let somebody else do it, that's the wrong attitude. And then the church diminishes and, and the struggle gets weak. You know, it's just like the human body. If you, don't, if you don't exercise the members of your human body, it gets weak after a while. Does anybody know that's true? And if you don't exercise your muscles, they atrophy after a while, you know? And so it's important that we exercise. You know, one of the worst things that can happen is live on the moon. You say, why? There's no gravity. 
Gravity is actually uh, the part that makes you and I resist. There's a resistance to everything we're doing in this life, and we get really frustrated by resistance. We don't want any resistance. But we don't develop if we don't have any resistance. We will atrophy. We will literally die. And actually, I believe that the church's finest hours is when there's resistance. It's up to us. What's our attitude going to be? Are we going to rise up and allow the resistance to help us get stronger? Are we just going to mope and carry on and say, oh, it's just terrible. We can't do anything. They were devoted and faithful to the breaking of bread. Speaks of the Lord's table. Communion. But what is communion all about? It's actually the focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the focus on the gospel, is it not? Isn't that what we're celebrating when we do communion? I'm focusing in on what Jesus Christ did for me. He literally went to the cross. He gave up his rights in order to serve us. Folks, you and I cannot serve people unless we're willing to lay aside our rights. This is a right-driven culture. But Jesus laid aside his rights. He laid aside his divine prerogatives. Did he not? If I'm going to be like Jesus, don't I have to lay aside sometimes what I want for the sake of the good of others? Absolutely. Listen to how Paul uh, describes his life in Galatians 6.14. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's he saying? I'm dead to these things. You know, one of my favorite songs is a hymn by Isaac Watts. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You and I belong to him. Do you know that? You want to really get down to it? You and I have no rights. We've been bought and paid for. You see, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. You have a choice. And if you rebel against what God wants you to do, you're a slave to sin. That's the way it works. I'm cutting it so, you know, like it's black and white here, folks. You're either serving God or you're not. And then they were faithful to prayer. There was a commitment to communicating to God. You cannot read the book of Acts without seeing prayer at the heart of the book. As a matter of fact, I would say it's one of the central ideas in the entire book of Acts. You know, it was while they're on their way to prayer that there was a, me- a tremendous healing of a man that had never walked in his entire life. It was on their way to prayer. These people were prayerful, you know, and that man started walking. You know, sometimes we figure out, how can we win the world? I I say, let's just live in an organic union with Almighty God. Let us learn how to pray together. Help us to learn to overcome the challenges that we're faced as we pray together as a body of believers. And what was the outcome of this godly church devoted to prayer? It says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, you know. You want to see miracles? You got to see God. God's, God creates miracles. Human beings don't. But you know what? If we're in relationship to God, things begin to happen. Let me move on to the second characteristic. They were generous people. 
They were concerned about those who were struggling in their world, the least, the lost, the forgotten. They were concerned about the poor and the needy. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Now, here was a unique blend of community. I'm not suggesting that we all live in a commune. Obviously, they did in this church, and probably one of the reasons was they knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. That's one of the arguments, but that's not the point. Others argue that when the church is in a transformed state, then generosity becomes a way of life, and that's really the point, isn't it? One of the most powerful messages about spirituality is how we treat the less fortunate and how we don't show partiality. God's concerned about the poor and the needy. James reminds us in James chapter 1 and verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Isn't that amazing? You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I get so excited. In our church, you know, was directed by God to build an orphanage in India. And you know what? By the grace of God, the Holy Spirit put it not, not just my heart, but the whole church's heart. An orphanage was built. And, and to this day, for almost a decade now, we've been, we've been feeding orphans in India. Isn't that an amazing thing? And they're growing up. And let me tell you, some of these guys are on fire for God, and they're going to go out and preach the gospel in a nation that there's tremendous persecution in. Actually, I was just in uh, communication with Dr. Thomas. He says, now India's been upgraded or degraded down to the fourth worst place in the world to live as a Christian. There's so much persecution. It's that difficult. Let me just move on and say this, that one of the things we're going to do on this Tuesday coming, this World Giving Day, we're not going to keep it for ourselves. We're going to take those proceeds and divide half of it to Africa and half of it to India. You say, why is that? Because while we're over here struggling with COVID, people in the rest of the world are also struggling, but you know, because they shut everything down, the greatest threat to our world today isn't COVID. It's how many people will die of starvation as a result of our response to this fear that we had about this disease. That's what's going to happen. And so instead of just sitting here in North America and going, oh, I got some restrictions, we're going to do something about it. And that's the most important thing. But let me just move on to the third point here. I just had a bunch of scriptures, but we're going to move past those to the final characteristic. We'll get there. The third one is simply that they were a growing church. So my question is, are we a growing church? And what I mean by growing is not just numbers. It's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about that's part of it. But are we growing in spiritual maturity, number one? That's the question I have to ask myself. That's the question you need to ask yourselves. Are we growing in our desire to do God's will in our lives? Are we, are we growing in our, our focus on other people? Are we growing in our sharing of the good news of Jesus to the people in our community? Are people becoming believers around us? Are we sending people out to serve others, not only in our city, but even around our world? Because, you know, one of the things that happens when you're healthy is you grow. It's the way it works. It says here, you know, uh, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were being added to the church daily. Isn't that amazing? God was doing something. You know, when people are becoming believers, you know God's working. You know, I, I'm excited right now. In the midst of COVID, people are becoming Christians. You know, last Sunday, we, we had nine people baptized and two of them have been a believer now for six weeks. 
Isn't that beautiful? I was, last week was their fifth week. This is their sixth week. And I'm so excited about what God is doing in some of the lives of people. And I want to just point out that only God can add to our numbers. That's not something we do. All we can do is be faithful to share a message. But I'll say this. As we look at the early church, uh, I didn't put this one in. No, okay. All right. But as we look at the early church's manner of life, we discover a group of people who were celebrants. How many know that? It states that they were a worshiping people. They were enthusiastic about their faith. Do you know when people are enthusiastic? You know that word enthusiasm means God breathe. Isn't that great? We need to be enthusiastic. When you're enthusiastic about something, it's contagious. You ever been around somebody who's enthusiastic about something? You can almost feel that the contagion, right? You know, when people are excited about their walk with God, you know, you just kind of spill out all over the place. Isn't that true? That's the way it works. And so, you know, if we're not enthusiastic right now about our walk with God, maybe we need to get on our knees and say, Lord, what's, what's, what's hindering me from being as excited about you than I've ever been? Matter of fact, you know, we, we can talk about, I've been a Christian so long, or, you know, I, I, I've been, uh, you know, I know so much, or I got this or this. Really, wouldn't the test be, you know, I'm, I've never been more excited about Jesus. That would tell me that something's happening in your life. You know, we should be getting more excited about Jesus. We should be more in love with him today. You know, the longer I walk with him, that love should be deepening. There should be a thrill in my heart. I should never lose that sense of awe and wonder that he saved me. He loved me. He gave himself for me. He's directed me. He's been faithful to me. He's delivered me through all of these challenges in my life. He's been there. He's compassionate. His mercies are new every morning. I just go, wow, I get the the opportunity to meet the most important person in the whole cosmos every single day. I'm not even impressed with who you know because I know the one who's made everything. That's the most impressive person. And I have the opportunity to talk to him every day and to hear him speak into my soul. I think, wow, is this ever amazing? And some of us, we don't even take time out. You know, we're so busy fooling around with this life that we're missing the most amazing opportunity to get the one who knows the answers to the problems. He is the one that can put strength into our lives when we're weary. Have you ever grown weary? You ever, you ever felt discouragement or all these things? And then you can get down and spend time in God's presence and nothing really changes but your heart. And all of a sudden you stand up and you feel invigorated and strengthened and filled with hope and courage. And you've just turned it all over to God and you know that he's carrying that burden and you and I are as free as a bird and we can leave that place of prayer and go out and do the will of God for that day. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's incredible that God can direct us during that day and he can put people in our mind and we give them a phone call and it's amazing. They say, Pastor, or whoever you are, and says, it's amazing that you're talking to me right now. This has to be a God thing because it is. How many times have you talked to someone or done something or phoned somebody or this and that and they've said, I can't believe it, you know, because I was, I was discouraged. I was struggling. Wow, to walk in the Spirit, to be used by God. What an amazing privilege that really is. And even though we can't physically break bread in our homes, even though we can't sit in each other's homes and have meals together, but you and I can do a lot of neat things. We can be creative. 
I don't believe that this time of restriction can hinder us from building relationships. I believe human beings are the most creative elements in this society. Human beings. You know why? Because we're made in the image of God. God is a creator, therefore we're creative. You and I can come up with ways of relating to one another. There, you know, I, I always have a saying, if there's a will, there's a way, right? If you really want to do something, you're able to do it. You know, generally speaking, there's always a way to somehow convey concern, love, whatever you want to do to people. Let them know they mean something to you. And we start connecting like that. And you look at our society today, all these lonely, broken people, all these superficial relationships. You and I have a, an ability to transcend all of that. But you know what really, you know what really creates that? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. We need a new encounter with the Spirit of God. I would just, it's interesting, Douglas Copeland, who's a postmodern literary icon, coined the term Generation X. He grew up apart from faith in God, but in one of his books, he discloses a spiritual common quest of many in our secular world, and he writes this, these statements. Now here's my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God, that I'm sick and I can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable of giving. To help me to be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Isn't that an amazing confession? I just say to myself, that's the soul of the modern secular humanist. Right there incapable of doing what needs to be done and at a loss for, to what to do. How are we going to respond? I think we need to, we need to cry out to God today. We need to cry out to God for a fresh invigoration of God's presence in our lives. How many think we probably need revival? We probably need to be revived in our spirit. We probably need to be addicted or devoted to these elements in our life where we are devoted to the word of God. We're devoted to fellowship. We're devoted to living the life of the Christian life, the cross, the cross life, the laying down of our, our rights, laying down of our privileges to empower other people's lives, to, to live a life where we're in, we're in communion with God, not only alone, but together. You know, and I, I challenged you a while back you know, to spend time praying with your spouse, spend time praying with your kids. Man, you, you know, we could do devotionals uh, on, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, WhatsApp or FaceTime. You could be doing devotionals with one another. You could be skirting uh, from home to home. You could be doing all kinds of stuff. There's so many ways of doing it. Just bringing people in, saying, hey, you know what, let's, let's meet before, uh, at such and such a time, every night, 8.30. You know, shut the TV off, 8.30. We're going to meet together, and we're going to spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes. We're going to read a little devotional. We're going to pray together. We could span, you know, how many are catching on what I'm trying to tell you? This is possible, guys. You could build deeper relationships because I'm convinced that when you pray with one another, your relationships deepen because now you're relating on a spiritual level, not just on an emotional level, not just on a social level, not just on a physical level, but at the highest possible level, and that's spiritual. How many here can honestly say to me, when you started praying with other people, something happened in that relationship? Just raise your hand. Something happened in that relationship. Okay, let's stand. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to pray that the God's Spirit would just come upon us in a powerful way. I'm just going to pray for that. I'm going to pray God's Spirit come upon us. How many feel like, you know what, I, the greatest need I have 
is the need for God. That's my greatest need. There's no greater need than that in my life. I can honestly say that. I want, you know, I want more of the Spirit of God in my life. What does that entail? That means less of me. I have to lay down my life in order to receive the life of God. That's what John said. He said, I must decrease in order for Christ to increase. I think there's a principle there. You and I need to say, it's not about me. It's about you. And Lord, I know that we're never going to be completely happy or joyous or filled with peace and a freedom from anxiety apart from you. It doesn't work. We know that that's true. We've lived long enough. We've, we've walked long enough with you to know that that's reality. And I just pray today as we call out to you, Father, that you would hear our cry, that your spirit would come upon us, that the Holy Spirit of the living God that fell upon the early church on the day of Pentecost would fall upon us today, that we would experience a spiritual renewal in our life, that it would move us past our brokenness, our hurts, our disappointments, our angers, our frustrations. Lord, that you would fill us with joy and peace and hope and grace, that we would become a transformed people, that we would bring life into a world that's sucking death, oh God, that's embracing a culture of death, that you and I would bring life because the life of the living God is deeply within us and flowing through us. I pray that we would become contagious. Lord, that we would become infectious, not with a, with a virus, but with the presence of the living God, that we would infect the lives of people around us with life and hope and joy and peace. We just thank you for that, Father. Lord, just revive us. Holy Spirit, would you just come and quicken and make this real to us. Lord, help us not just to hear your words, but Lord, to embrace them and to apply them into our lives. Would you motivate us? Would you inspire us, Father? Would you instill within us and put a fire within our hearts, oh God, because you are a consuming fire. That you would help us to reach out beyond ourselves. That, Lord, instead of looking for answers, help us to become part of the solution and not just to be a part of the problem. Help us to stop complaining and whining and carrying on, Father. Help us to be so filled with joy and hope and grace and wisdom and goodness that people will just say, where, where are you getting this from? And we're able to point them to you the source of life, the source of hope, the source of grace, the source of forgiveness, the source of new beginnings. And we just thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.